Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Gold! I'm struck and rich! I'm a billionaire! There's gold to be found in the hills of Wisconsin. Not shiny nuggets specifically, and not cheese, if that's what you're wondering, but a tantalizingly lucrative crop that can earn $7,000 an acre. That's 10 times the going rate of your average farm crop. You'd think everyone in middle America would be racing to plant it with an eye towards making a quick fortune, but this isn't happening. There's a catch, because this crop is a tough nut to crack, literally. Newbie farmer Mike Trinkline knows. The story starts about eight years ago when I purchased 35 acres on the shores of Lake Michigan. I'd never farmed before, but I thought I was smarter than all the farmers. I planted a series of high-value crops that I figured would make me a killing. Blueberries, chestnuts, apples, raspberries, 50 different varieties. Everything died. I had become the caretaker of a vast plant graveyard. But then these unusual orbs started falling on my house. Wouldn't you know it? They were black walnuts. It was a fortunate break for Mike, since black walnuts command a high price, given their unusual flavor. Black walnuts work with both sweet and savory dishes, enhancing pork, for example, but also transforming a cake. And they're starting to fill a niche with chefs as sort of the truffle of nuts, if you will. And Mike didn't just have one or two black walnut trees on his land. He had 300, planted decades before he even bought the property. So the first October on the farm, the nuts started falling all over the place. Free nuts. This is awesome, I thought. So I started picking them up. All I had to do was crack them. How hard could this be, right? Mike would soon come to learn it was pretty dang hard. The challenge is that black walnuts have one of nature's best security systems. The good part, the nut meat, is locked inside a hard, thick shell. And that shell is wrapped in a tough green husk. So the first step is to break through the husk. And for that, Mike needed a pickup truck. I was told the best technique is to dump these greenish orbs on the road and then drive over them back and forth. When I did that, the outer husks smooshed off to reveal an inky black goo inside. Everything I was wearing was ruined because the goo is a permanent black stain. Apparently, the dye is so powerful, it was used to color Civil War uniforms. Some people even used it as a natural hair dye. I considered the hair dye idea briefly until I realized black walnuts will also dye your skin if you're not careful. I mean, I, I had this image of the goo running down my face to give me permanent stripes in the style of Rudy Giuliani. Oh, like that press conference, you know, with the motor oil dripping down the side of his face? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Anyway, it was only after removing the outer layer and then drying them for weeks that I was ready to finally get cracking. And if Mike eventually finds a way to crack this nut, he'll be a millionaire. Maybe. Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, there's gold in them thar trees. 
Will Mike strike it big in the Black Walnut Gold Rush? I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Kevin Pang here. You know I love to nerd out on food. So I was ecstatic when TJ Robinson, a.k.a. the Olive Oil Hunter, gave me tips during a taste testing of olive oil. He taught me how to tell the difference between a fresh olive oil from one that's not. The few things you should taste for when you're tasting olive oil to know if it's really good is A, it should smell and taste fruity and fresh. B, it should be bitter because it tells you it's from early harvest fruit. And three, you should feel a peppery pinch in your throat. That tells you it's fresh. Wow, TJ, this is really spectacular. I'm realizing now that a lot of olive oils that I've tasted in the past have been pretty flat and neutral and one note. And here, I'm definitely getting the bitterness. I'm getting that pepperiness. There is something very vegetal and clean about the aroma. Absolutely. The fresher, the better. Race to the U.S. by jet. Every fresh-pressed olive oil bottle is rushed to your door from artisanal farms all over the world. You too can get a taste through a special offer for proof listeners by visiting getfresh92.com. Just pay a dollar for shipping and you'll get a $39 bottle of rare, fresh-pressed, extra virgin olive oil. Get yours today at GetFresh92.com. That's GetFresh92.com. Ever thought about opening your own fine dining restaurant? Or maybe you've dreamed of having your own hometown bakery full of cakes and other treats. As someone who's finishing up business school, I love daydreaming about these possibilities. No matter where you are in your culinary career, Augusta Scoffier School of Culinary Arts wants to help turn your daydreams into realities. Escoffier helps prepare students for life-changing food careers. To find out more, visit escoffier.edu. That's E-S-C-O-F-F-I-E-R dot E-D-U. Mike Trankline brings us today's story of nature's toughest nut to crack. Farming is never easy, I've learned. And it didn't help that I really had no idea what I was doing, at least not at first. I'm a filmmaker by day, and farming came later in life. I grew up in rural Wisconsin, but I was focused on making movies. The farms and orchards of my teens served as a backdrop for my productions. I didn't think about how it all worked. But gradually over the decades, it became clear to me that something was wrong with Midwestern agriculture. The quaint local farms where my family picked strawberries in the 1970s, they're gone. The family-owned dairies that inspired those Wisconsin cheeseheads, they've quietly disappeared. Now, it's all corn. Every spring, I've come to dread the looming rumble of the corn-planting convoy as it pulls into the field across the street, the tankers full of weed killer, the $500,000 tractors, and the semi-trucks loaded with genetically tinkered seed. Corn dominates because it's been bred to be, well, docile, uniform, domesticated. At the other end of the spectrum are black walnuts, wild raw, and willing to put up a fight. I was determined to tame them. 
But it wasn't going well so far. In my defense, the advice to drive over the nuts with a car seemed a bit bonkers. For the next step, I needed to apply some technology to the problem. And I found it, I thought, when I stumbled upon an amazing bit of engineering, touted as the ultimate solution for black walnut processing, built in the backwoods of Missouri by a gentleman named Basil Bacon. Mr. Bacon is the inventor of a black walnut cracking device called Grandpa's Goody Gitter, which he builds himself. I sit there in my living room at night and... and uh... I'll put them together while I'm watching John Wayne. I excitedly purchased a grandpa's goody gitter, thinking it would easily crack my store of black walnuts. The machine is massive, almost too heavy to lift, and it has an elaborate system of steel cogs and gears to deliver just the right pressure to crack black walnuts. And we've got this thing so easy, I think a two-year-old could do it. There's just nothing to it. So you pull it down like that and you wrap your fingers around that nut to keep it from just flying everywhere. Not going to hurt you. <laughs> Not going to hurt you. I was a little scared about that last part because he's asking me to hold on to the nut as the machine delivers an enormous impact. It's like holding a nail while your friend hits it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. So I loaded up the first walnut, got my hand as far away as I could, and lowered the boom. Literally. It did crack the nut, but the force was so large, it sent nutshell shrapnel flying across my house. My wife suggested that before I do it again, I yell, fire in the hole. The problem is that while it cracked the nuts, it also shredded the nut meat into tiny pieces that were all mixed in with the shells. Maybe I was doing it wrong. I mean, I have nothing but admiration for inventors like Basil Bacon. He seems like a great grandpa but I needed a goody-getter for dummies. My do-it-yourself nut operation had failed. Uh, wait a minute, Mike. Are you sure you want to phrase it like that? <laughs> you're, you're right. That sentence sounded like an ill-advised medical procedure. Anyway, the point is I wasn't giving up on black walnuts. While I was looking around for a solution, I learned about the health benefits of black walnuts. It turns out they have more protein than any other tree nut, more of the good fats too. They have compounds that reduce cholesterol levels, lower risks of cancer, reduce inflammation, even shrink tumors. Preliminary studies also show compounds that can protect against Alzheimer's. Now, I know this sounds like a clickbait ad, but there is science behind every one of these claims and all the more reason to find a better way to crack the shell open. I knew somebody had to have a better solution, so I looked around for an experienced black walnut farmer to give me a little mentoring. Just one problem. There aren't any. Not in the traditional sense. But I finally did find a guy who could help me. I love the flavor of them. To me, it's worth the work to get those nut meats out. That's Jesse Peterson, a recently retired engineering manager. He started a small black walnut business in his garage a couple years ago, but his first memory of black walnuts dates back to when he was just five years old. The old timers back in the day used to sometimes put their cars up on blocks and uh, spin the wheels uh, of the car and put the walnuts underneath those wheels. So they would crush the walnut basically between the tire and their driveway and shoot the nut out the other side and the husk would come off. I built a machine 
like that, except it's self-contained. Jesse developed a number of clever inventions for removing the hull and then washing and drying the nuts. I need to get a new tire this year because I've I've worn the tread off of this one pretty well. (laughs) But his method for cracking the nuts, well, it surprised me. Uh, It's all a very manual process. I use a vise to crack the nut open. Uh, It usually cracks in half, maybe in quarters. And I use that uh, wire snips to basically trim around the nut and, uh, or the nut meat, and uh, the shell piece then falls away and I get uh, the whole nut kernels. I can do a couple of pounds of nuts a day. A couple pounds a day, cracking one nut at a time. Why does Jesse do it? Partly, it's about enjoying nature. I'm working with what I've got. I've got black walnut trees in my yard, so... Why not use black walnuts? Well, that's what people did as a matter of living back in the day. You know, I get to spend some time uh, collecting my thoughts. There's a certain um, peacefulness to it as well. But there is more to it than just communing with nature during peak fall color. Jesse sells the nuts for $22 a pound at local farmer's markets, and he sells out every year. So where does Jesse get his nuts? He only has a couple trees on his property. For most of his harvest, he drives around local neighborhoods looking for black walnut trees in suburban yards. Once he spots one, he politely asks if he can pick up the fallen nuts. And nearly everyone says yes, because the nuts are seen by most people as a nuisance. As that husk degrades over the next couple of weeks after they fall out of the tree, they become this black, gooey mess. Yep, I know what that's like. I've heard one person shoot him out of the um, lawnmower and broke a window one time, you know, that kind of thing. So (laughs) Jesse collects a bit of nature that most people see as a waste product and turns it into a very valuable commodity. He's part of a long tradition of dreamers trying to tame this wild crop, a story that dates back to the first people who lived in what's now the eastern United States. Black walnuts are native to the United States, unlike the much more common English walnuts that were first cultivated in Persia. Yeah, and even though black walnuts grow throughout much of the eastern half of the country, most native people didn't eat them. Because remember, they're nearly impossible to crack. My search at the University of Michigan's exhaustive ethnobotany database revealed that native people were much more likely to ignore the nut and instead use the outer husk to make dye or for medicinal purposes. A number of tribes use the gooey black husk as a topical treatment for hemorrhoids. Even if it is a miracle cure, remember the permanent stain and let's move on. The Iroquois people did extract the nut meats and mix them with bear fat, but they didn't eat that concoction. They used it to repel mosquitoes. As European settlers pushed into America, they also ignored black walnuts as a food source, unless they were desperate. Laura Ingalls Wilder, who wrote the Little House on the Prairie books, noted that when her family was scratching out a living in Wisconsin, they did gather black walnuts, but she also lamented that they stained her hands a dark brown. And while Laura details storing the nuts, she never actually describes eating one. So maybe they were just not worth the effort to crack, even given the food insecurity of the period. 
Throughout the 1800s and early 1900s, there were plenty of backwoods hobbyists who would gather up and crack black walnuts for personal use. But there wasn't much of a commercial industry. That all changed in 1946 when a man named Ralph Hammonds got an idea. From that point forward, the black walnut industry and the name Hammonds became inseparable. I guess you could call Ralph the Steve Jobs of black walnuts because he saw a possibility that no one else recognized. The late Ralph Hammonds single-handedly created the black walnut industry in the late 1940s. He succeeded where everyone else failed because of one key talent. He knew how to mobilize people. You see, Ralph didn't own any walnut trees. He had to convince people to forage for the nuts on his behalf. He was well-equipped to do that because before nuts, Ralph had a similar scheme with rabbits. Here's Ralph's son, Dwayne, explaining. As a kid, I used to go out with my single-shot rifle <laughs> and uh, shoot rabbits and bring them in to them, and my friends did the same thing. And uh, uh, we, we would receive sometimes as much as 40 cents a, a, a rabbit, <laughs> and that was good back at that time. As the owner of a grocery store in rural Missouri, Ralph built connections with buyers in big cities like St. Louis. When he saw what they were paying for rabbits, he realized there was potential income hopping all over the Ozarks. So Ralph put out the word to locals, mostly teenage boys, that he would buy all the rabbits they could shoot. It worked well for several years. Then the state added a rabbit tax, effectively killing the enterprise. So Ralph moved on to another untapped resource in Missouri's forest, black walnuts. He repeated the rabbit formula advertising that anyone who gathered walnuts would get paid per pound for all they could haul. The nuts poured in. Ralph wouldn't have used a phrase like sustainable agriculture, but that's exactly what he was promoting. To Ralph, he just hated seeing a valuable source of food and profit go to waste. Here's his son, Dwayne, again. He recognized that the black walnuts on the ground here in Missouri uh, was a wasted crop. And so he uh, decided to uh, put in a plant to operate uh, here in, in, in Stockton to take care of the wasted crop and uh, to help the local farmers with their income. Ralph solved the problem of extracting the nuts by installing a massive cracking machine. Imagine two cylinders of steel the size of your sofa rotating side by side with just a tiny gap in between. Anything you dump in there will get pulled into the gap and crushed without mercy. Ralph dumped in buckets of nuts and it worked. It was a brute force solution, but Ralph had cracked the code. Black walnuts could now be conquered on a massive scale. The process remains much the same today. Ralph's grandson, Brian, explains, it's a little hard to hear because this machine is so dang loud. So in here, the nuts are coming inside the building. They're going through the uh, steel rollers to crack the nuts. Purists believe that Hammond's steel roller cracking system breaks up the nuts into pieces that are too small. It's true that you'll never see a whole or half walnut sold by Hammonds. It's pieces. But you can't say Hammonds doesn't turn out volume. 
Once Ralph installed the Cracking Monster in 1946, he soon had plenty of inventory, all of a sudden. But the nuts weren't selling. The big food buyers in St. Louis weren't excited about black walnuts. The business might have died right there, except for a clever idea that came not from Ralph, but from the wife of one of the food brokers who was helping him. Her name was Elva Norman. Brian Hammonds, Ralph's grandson, picks up the story. Elva said, uh, Ralph, what you need to sell your black walnuts is a good recipe. And uh, Ralph looked at her and said, well, Elva, if you'll make me a good recipe, I'll use it. Elva wasn't a dowdy, apron-wearing granny. She was instead a pioneering woman in the field of public relations, winning awards for her work, even chairing national journalism and public relations organizations. She conceived of the recipe as a PR tool, and it worked beautifully in the form of a black walnut cake. Elva told Ralph to take a cake along on every sales call to the big food buyers. Years later, Brian Hammonds recalled just how effective Elva's cake was when he went on a sales call with Elva's son, Tom. So I'd go up to St. Louis and work with Tom, and uh, we'd have to stop by Elva's house, and she had a warm cake ready to go. So we'd take that cake into the buyer's office and sit down, and Tom would cut a piece of cake and give it to the buyer, and then it was just a matter of, okay, how many dozens would you like now? <laughs> These packages of black walnuts? Because they could experience that flavor. There is a bit of genius in Elvis' cake that I didn't understand until I experienced it myself. I found the original 1940s recipe, ordered some black walnuts from Hammond's, and asked my son Tim to bake the cake. Tim's a chemistry PhD and very exacting. I knew he'd replicate it perfectly. The secret was in Elva's mixing instructions. The nuts become very fine and blend with the sugar and butter to create a unique flavor. Yeah, it's better than I thought it would turn out. Yeah, it's really good. That's my chemist baker son, Tim, and my wife, Lynn, who used to be the food editor at a newspaper. Tim reads off the key bit of instruction from the original recipe. The secret is to start with large fancy kernels, which add pronounced flavor throughout the cake as they are cut to bits by the mixer. Elva Norman's cake later became somewhat famous. The recipe is still printed on the Hammond's packaging, and you can find an updated version on their website. Once I put the microphone down and had a slice myself, it became clear why a food broker would be persuaded by Elva's cake. It was delicious, unlike any cake I had had before. It made me wonder why black walnuts were not in my local grocery store, every grocery store. It's not for lack of demand. Instead, it's about how these nuts are harvested, a process that everyone realizes has to change, for Hammonds and even for me. After the break, the solution that might bring black walnuts to a store near you. Eating great food is one thing. The prep and cleanup afterwards is, well, something else. That's where Kohler comes in. When prepping for recipes, you can tell the voice-controlled faucets to dispense measured amounts of water. Kohler's faucets also feature a sweep spray to quickly get any gunk off of your dishes. Even if your hands are messy, 
you can wave on and off the touchless faucets. That way, you can clean with ease. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Hey, Proof listeners, Kevin Pang here. I've got a secret to share. Mangoes are my all-time favorite fruit. I myself am Team Sliced Mango. My six-year-old, well, he's Team Hedgehog. He loves his mangoes cross-hatched and turned inside out. You know what I'm talking about. Our family loves mangoes because they're naturally sweet, tangy, and versatile. Eat them on their own, make mango lassi popsicles, dust it with chili powder, and you can even make savory dishes like mango curry chicken wings. Some recipes call for using unripe and half-ripe mangoes. Lucky for me, these amazing superfruits are available year-round. In fact, I'm going to walk out of this recording booth, head to the market, and buy a dozen mangoes right now. See you later. Oh, 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 one more thing. Be sure to visit mango.org slash proof for tantalizing recipes and to learn more about the amazing mango. And now, back to our story. The Hammonds Black Walnut Company has thrived thanks to founder Ralph Hammonds' determination and the promotional skills of Elva Norman. Ralph's grandson, Brian, now runs the company, and it stands today as the one and only major distributor of black walnuts. Brian likes to joke that in the black walnut business, Hammonds has only one competitor, squirrels. But in recent years, Hammonds has faced a challenge bigger than any bushy-tailed rodent, an existential challenge, really. The business model that Ralph worked out in 1946 no longer works. There's plenty of demand and more than enough supply, but getting the nuts, let's just call it a very unusual supply chain issue. To understand Hammond's problem, let's revisit how they get their black walnuts in the first place. Hammond's encourages people all across the Eastern US to head out into the woods with buckets pick up walnuts, and bring them to a Hammond's drop-off location. They have drop-off stations across about a dozen states. I visited a drop-off site and chatted with a young man unloading the nuts he had gathered that day. His name is Aiden Swartz. I brought 493 pounds of black walnuts here. Well, at $20 a hundred, probably a little over a hundred dollars. He's getting paid $20 per 100 pounds, or 20 cents a pound. And that's after the green outer hulls are removed at the Hammond's hulling station. In one sense, it's free money. Any able-bodied person can gather nuts and Hammond's will buy them. But the trees don't grow in stands. They are here and there, dotting the countryside, and they're inconsistent. Some might have a lot of big nuts, but others might have none or just small nuts. People like Aiden have to locate a good tree and then pick up the nuts one at a time. And if they're in a wood somewhere, they'll have to hand carry the nuts to their vehicle before hauling them to a Hammond station, which might be many miles away. 50 years ago, it may have been one of the only side gigs available for a large family. Here's Brian Hammonds, current CEO. I hear stories from people who say uh, they used to get winter coats or winter boots for the family. Uh, sometimes even put food on the table. Uh, more common, it's Christmas presents. Uh, it's, it's paying the taxes on their land. And it's uh, a little extra spending money for the kids as well. 
Today, fewer and fewer people want to do this. Since money is less of a motivator, Hammonds has reframed nut gathering as a fun family activity, a chance to teach kids about hard work, the value of a dollar, that kind of thing. Here's their commercial. When the geese fly south and the fall winds blow, it's black walnut harvest time. The black walnuts are falling, and Hammond's hullers are paying $15 per hundredweight after hulling. Every year, individuals, families, and organizations harvest this wild crop, and all are welcome to join in the healthy outdoor fun. It's a money-making tradition, and there's a Hammond's hulling station near you. Remember Hammond's Products Company. It's black walnut harvest time. That family-oriented strategy has kept Hammonds going, but they realize time is running out on this approach. Rural populations are declining, families are smaller, and more Americans recoil at work that requires physical labor. The solution is to plant orchards of black walnuts. And that's not only a solution for the Hammonds, it's the template for solving a much larger problem in American agriculture. It can literally save the small family farm. For big farmers, the path to profits is easy. Grow corn. If you have a thousand acres and a million dollar combine, you're all set. I once toured one of the bigger corn operations in my county. As the farmer was showing me around, I overheard his sons grumble about a problem with the combine. Seems the subwoofers weren't putting out enough bass. <laughs> okay, after a step inside, I realized these things are like luxury motorhomes that also happen to harvest corn. Ah, but they were right. The sound system was a little bit tinny. But... What about a farm family that only has 30 acres? Can they still make a go of it? In recent decades, the answer has been no. And many farmers have been forced to sell off to the big agribusinesses. But now there's a possible solution for small farmers and it's nuts. I mean, literally, it's nuts. Unlike corn, which might bring in $700 an acre, nuts could bring in $7,000 an acre every year. The key is planting rows and rows of trees that produce big nuts and lots of them. In theory, 20 acres of black walnuts could keep a small farm family afloat. It could even earn them enough to put their 2.1 kids through college. Plus, after 50 years, the family could sell the lumber, sort of a living retirement plan. They also might be able to tap the trees for syrup. And farmers can even make money off the hard nut shell. The hardness makes them coveted for cleaning machinery. For example, air blasters filled with black walnut shells are used to clean the Statue of Liberty. It was Dwayne Hammonds, Ralph's son, who helped pioneer the industrial use of shells, starting when he was just 15. I would uh, try to uh, shovel up and recover the shells that uh, came from processing of the nuts that had been bulldozed down the hill. And uh, I had to uh, had a hose and uh, clean the shell uh, so they could be dried and then ground and, and sent to uh, the dynamite companies for uh, a filler in dynamite. Yes, black walnuts are even useful in the production of dynamite. Given all the potential value of black walnuts, why don't we see black walnut farms everywhere? Because, again, with so much investment focused on corn, 
alternative crops have been largely ignored. But that's starting to change. I think that we can kind of realize this vision of more vibrant, small farms again. That's scientist Ron Revord of the University of Missouri. He's part of the school's larger effort to help small farmers scale up tree crops like hazelnuts, chestnuts, and black walnuts. Ron's working to develop strains of black walnuts that are easier to crack and have more nut meat in each shell. The profit potential is tied to planting a lot of these improved trees in rows, so the harvesting can be more efficient. Think of it this way. Imagine if potatoes grew only in the wild, and when you found a potato plant, it only had a few of those little fingerling-sized potatoes. That's kind of where black walnuts are today. Now, picture those giant Idaho russets growing in beautiful rows on acre after acre. I lived in Idaho for several years, and the potato farmers have the nicest houses in town. And that's where black walnuts aspire to be. At least, that's the goal of people like Ron. We're at that phase right now where we're trying to take the crop of black walnut and move it from wild stands to orchards. So we're trying to domesticate the species as an orchard crop right now. It takes time, but Ron is deeply motivated because in addition to helping small farmers, tree crops like black walnuts are vastly better for the planet compared to traditional crops like corn. Corn requires massive inputs of fertilizer, weed killer, and don't forget, diesel to keep those luxury tractors running. Black walnuts don't require any of that. Brian Hammonds likes to go all in on the sustainability message. Sustainability is something that is just a part of black walnuts. We use terms wild and is very natural. And uh, it's uh, watered by the rain uh, many of the trees are squirrel-planted. Yes, squirrels plant the trees for Hammonds, naturally gathering up the nuts and burying them, so that's how they get in the soil. Later, the squirrels dig up the nuts, if they can remember where they are. Often they forget. They're not as smart as you think. And that means a new tree grows. When they do dig up a saved nut, the squirrels try to chew through the outer layer to get to the nut meat. And often... I think this is funny. Squirrels give up on black walnuts. It's too much work because remember, they're tough to crack. A black walnut farmer wouldn't need to rely on squirrels for planting, of course. A shovel works good too. And the nice thing about tree crops is you only plant them once. You don't have to upset the soil to replant every year. You just wait for them to grow pick up the nuts, and sell them. Okay, I'm oversimplifying, but Ron Revord explains. Well, you don't disturb the land, and then with these long-lived tree species, you have both above and below ground carbon stores. So inherently, just in those two aspects, you've made pretty big steps forward as far as you know ecological benefits of the system. And I think it just starts with a small number of growers. You know, that could be dozens or it could be a hundred that want to adopt small orchards and develop some kind of traction, some kind of uh, foothold for these smaller crops. And then I think that the footprint can grow from there. This kind of work takes patience. Right now, any particular black walnut tree might produce big nuts or small nuts. It might drop a lot of nuts or just a few. 
Ron's job is to find the trees with the best genetics and reproduce them to ensure a viable regular crop for farmers. If things go well, black walnuts could be a staple at your local grocery, right next to pecans and cashews. Then again, you buy pecans and cashews because you know what they taste like. So, what about black walnuts? Even after all this work, I still hadn't tasted one raw. Regardless of the value to small farmers and the planet, it doesn't really make sense to plant and harvest black walnuts unless people want to eat them. And this is where the black walnut story gets extremely divisive. Some people love them, others hate them. First of all, black walnuts do not taste anything like the regular English walnuts you're used to. Black walnuts are different. Even Hammond's, the top seller, admits this in their packaging when they say the flavor is, quote, bold. Those very first nuts I gathered were dried too long, became rancid, kind of got mushed up with the shells. I spit them out. The slice of black walnut cake was good, but I still hadn't tasted the nuts raw. So I ordered up some proper nuts from Hammond's. And I will say that first taste was a moment. They're not crunchy like most nuts, so that was a surprise. The flavor was, well, what was it? I mean, my description was sort of a umami, concentrated mushroom flavor. The finish was very peppery. But no one I know agrees with me on this. So, at a recent family gathering, I passed out black walnuts and asked for descriptions. They struggled to find the right words, and I come from a family that never struggles for words. Chewy, earthy. Like a sweet, followed by an abrupt bitterness. There's a resinous background to it, I think. I don't like it. It tastes like what? Trash. Ashy. Smoky. They're kind of bitter, like dark chocolate. It's kind of good. Yeah, like woodsy, earthy. Kind of a chalky aftertaste. It has like a turpentine. Turpentine. And that taste that I get from all the leaves and the sticks and the dirt together is what this tastes like. It's a taste you have to kind of work for. And when you find it, it's special. The most common word was earthy. But what does that even mean? What I did learn about the taste is that for the people who like black walnuts, it's often about nostalgia. The black walnuts trigger a memory of days gone by. Remember Jesse who sells them at farmer's markets? He likes black walnuts a lot. His wife says they taste like dirt. That's actually the word she uses. But when Jesse sells them person to person, nobody talks about the taste per se. They want to talk about the experience that black walnuts bring to mind. The more people that I talk to at like farmer's markets, there is such a connection with the past. Oh, I used to do that on the farm. Or, oh, you know, my father was, was always doing black walnuts and that kind of thing. And it, it, you can see a little twinkle in, in people's eyes when they remember back to those days. And, and um, it, you know, just kind of brings something to them as well that way. In fact, my family tasting session triggered a story I had never heard before. My dad explained that his grandfather was something of a black walnut aficionado. I had no idea. 
<laughs> Grandpa Gallagher would first get them all together in the driveway. And then he would take his Mercury car and drive back and forth and back and forth over these nuts until those peelings came off. I don't remember my great-grandpa Gallagher, but it's fun to know we shared that moment in a way. He in his polished Mercury sedan, me in my well-worn Honda Element. Same crazy quest, 60 or so years apart. Maybe I had a little more Gallagher in my blood than I thought. My dad later mentioned that his grandfather didn't wear gloves when processing the nuts, so his hands were stained black. But that didn't bother him because he ran a one-man small-town newspaper and inky hands are just part of the job. I'm a writer, too, and I wish he was alive so we could chat about writing. Maybe I could tease him about the snow-white hair I've seen in the photographs and suggest he use some black walnut goo to get a more youthful look. My dad's memory was triggered by taste. The two are powerfully connected, but black walnuts can't expand as a food source based only on nostalgia. There are just not enough people who experienced them back in the day. And it's hard to sell them based on taste because they are so unusual. We can't really compare black walnuts to pecans or macadamias. That's not really fair anyway. That is to taste test them right out of the bag because black walnuts are really more of an ingredient. That's the standard to judge them by. Not the taste of a raw nut. Nobody eats a spoonful of an ingredient like raw cocoa powder. We have to think of black walnuts as a complement to other flavors, a source of protein and good fats, but not as a snack food. The big seller, Hammond's, has expanded this approach to marketing, encouraging chefs to try black walnuts and getting food manufacturers to test them as an ingredient. But it's an uphill battle. Here's Brian Hammonds, CEO of the one and only Black Walnut Processor. We have some buyers who uh, didn't grow up eating black walnuts, and they don't have a good first impression eating them hand to mouth. And so they don't realize that their customer base really may like these. I've got a, a great example of uh, a buyer at one major ice cream company that just kind of shook his head and saying, I don't know why, but we need more black walnuts. The taste may always be divisive, but sellers, big and small, can command a high price and currently sell all they can bring to market. As news about the health benefits become more widely known, demand can only go up. So I'm an optimist. I want to increase my tree count from 300 trees to 1,000 or more. I asked scientist Ron Revord if he could send me some of his superior trees to test, but he didn't have the grant money to include me in his study. However, I did find some improved black walnut varieties from another source. I should have them planted by the time you hear this episode. With any luck... This new crop of black walnuts will be rising like phoenixes from the ashes of my previous farming failures. The new trees won't begin producing until the year 2030 or so, but that's okay. I'm going to need a little time to figure out the best way to crack all these nuts. Because they are impossible to crack. But I have an idea. Check back with me in about 10 years.
Thanks to Mike Trinkline for bringing us today's story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher. I'm supervising producer, Caroline Rickard. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cartarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton, Chester Gwazda, and Anya Gzeshik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composer theme music, additional music by Cal Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis is our director of post-production, and our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by Angela Yang. Special thanks to everyone who talked to Mike for this story. And thanks also to Tim Pilcher for field recording. Jack Bishop is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Kohler, the National Mango Board, Augusta Scaffier School of Culinary Arts, and fresh-pressed olive oil. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.